Cue and Review, celebrating 40 years of audio production, welcomes you to this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast, recorded from our studio in the Bishopbrigs Media Centre and by our volunteers working from home. Keep up to date with Cue and Review news via our Facebook, Twitter or Instagram at Cue and Review, that's at sign C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W or get in touch with us directly by emailing information at qreview.com that's I-N-F-O-R-M-A-T-I-O-N at sign C-U-E-A-N-D-R-E-V-I-E-W dot C-O-M or by calling 0141-772-3976 Please like and share our podcast and give us constructive feedback. Evening Times Sport, October 10. Leading candidate for vacant Rangers job revealed. Report by Ewan Payton. A leading candidate for the vacant Rangers job has reportedly emerged. Philippe Clement is said to be the top target for the Ibrox hierarchy after the latest round of interviews. The Scottish Sun claim the 49-year-old is now the front-runner to replace Michael Beale, who was sacked last week. The Belgian, who has been out of work since leaving Monaco in the summer, is believed to have seriously impressed James Bisgrove and John Bennett during discussions. Former Rangers defender Kevin Muscat also remains in the running following his interview. While it seemed the Australian would wish to stick it out at Yokohama F. Marinos until the end of the J-League season in December, this report states that he's changed his mind and would now be prepared to walk away from his side's title charge in order to take over at Ibrooks. The Rangers board will now meet in the next 48 hours to make their final decision, with Clement seen as the favourite. Belgian under-21 international Nicolas Raskin believes his fellow countrymen would be a good fit for the role. Speaking after the win over St Mirren, the 22-year-old said, I don't know him personally, but he did very well with the teams he had in Belgium. And he also did incredibly well at Monaco. So let's see what happens in the future. Would he be a good fit here? Yes, I think he'd bring some clarity and an attacking style. So I think he'd be good. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, October 10. Matt Fitzpatrick savers Dunhill Link's double delight. Report by Nick Roger. Every cloud has a silver lining. Yes, even the leaden ones that had rained on the Alfred Dunhill Links Championship Parade. After two days of abandonments and sighing thumb twiddling, a manic Monday finally produced a winner as Matt Fitzpatrick closed with a 6-under 66 over the old course for a 19-under tally and a three-shot victory over Matthew Southgate, Marcus Armitage and defending champion Ryan Fox. 
Fitzpatrick's rise to the top of the leaderboard during round two last Friday felt so long ago, you almost expected footage of it to be housed next to the antiquated artefacts in the R&D World Golf Museum. Yesterday, the Englishman was still at the summit as he finished a trying, tiring contest with a flourish to take the honours in an event reduced to 54 holes due to Mother Nature's ferocious ire. Fitzpatrick's own mother, Sue, meanwhile, was in a far brighter mood. Partnering her son in the pro-arm contest, she helped Team Fitzpatrick win that title too, despite hippling and hobbling around the links with a sear knee. The wait was worth it after the washout. Said Fitzpatrick, fresh from helping Europe win the Ryder Cup the previous weekend. She always laughs and jokes, saying we are going to win the Dunhill, and we did. There's only one other person I know who's won a big tournament on one leg, and that's Tiger Woods, added the Ryder Cup player with a chuckle. The lightness is uncanny. Tiger's leg was obviously broken, but my mum hasn't got any cartilage in her knee, so she did amazingly well. Endurance was the name of the game in this frustrating prolonged palaver, which was cut to three rounds for the first time in its history. A total of 39 players withdrew or retired before the third round amid the general gurgle. That might be one of my lowest rounds ever here, if not the lowest, added Fitzpatrick, of his closing 65 on a day of little wind and soft dartboard-like greens, which made the old course vulnerable to a low-scoring ambush. Winning is difficult. I had a chance in Switzerland at the European Masters a few weeks ago, and that one hurt a lot. But it doesn't get much better than winning at St Andrews. Given the startling volume of rain that had fallen during an unrelenting deluge that had left the old course, King's Barns and Carnoustie flooded, it was miraculous that they got play going again. The leaderboard was almost measured in fathoms instead of par. It was Southgate who made a telling early thrust as he covered his first five holes at the old course in five under to barge his way into the reckoning. Over at Carnoustie, meanwhile, a shotgun started at 11.30 to allow more time for the huge amounts of water to recede meant that Scotland's Grant Forest, one stroke off the lead at halfway, had dropped four shots behind before he'd even teed off. Forrest would eventually sign for a 71 to share 10th on 13 under. At the head of affairs, Fitzpatrick began to assert his authority. Two under for his round after 10 holes, the 2022 United States Open champion picked up four birdies on the run-in to pull away from the pack. With Fox, 65, and Southgate, 66, unable to reel him in, the 29-year-old then had to wait over an hour to see if anyone could catch him from the later starters at Carnoustie and deny him a ninth DP World Tour win. Armitage, who had squelched manfully through sodden conditions, was still in with an outside chance, 
but a three-putt bogey on his penultimate hole ended those ambitions. A 66 gave him a share of second and a timely boost after missing eight of his last ten cuts. Aberdeen's David Law packed two eagles into a charging eight under 64 at King's Barnes to share 14th on 12 under, while Ryder Cup hero Robert McIntyre signed off with a 65 at the old course to finish on the fringes of top 20 with fellow Scots Callum Hill and Mark Warren. Said McIntyre, who performed a quick U-turn, I actually went down to Glasgow on Sunday as I thought there would be no way we'd be playing today. I was amazed it was on. It's a decent result. Fitzpatrick's result was even better, says Nick Roger. Evening Times Sport, October 10. UK and Ireland Euro 2028 bid successful. Report by Ewan Payton. The United Kingdom and Ireland's bid to host Euro 2028 has been formally approved this morning. The UEFA Executive Committee has given the green light to the five nations bid, which was unopposed after Turkey withdrew last week, after a meeting at its headquarters in Nyon, Switzerland. The ex-co decision took place after a presentation by the UK and Ireland Football Association leaders and Welsh football star Gareth Bale. Hamden Park is one of the ten stadiums and the only Scottish venue included in the submission. Six are in England with Wembley, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, the Etihad Stadium, St James's Park, Villa Park, and Everton's new home at Bramley Moor Dock. A redevelopment casement park in Belfast, the Aviva Stadium in Dublin, and the Principality Stadium in Cardiff are the other stadia included in the submission. Despite co-hosting the event, Scotland will likely not automatically qualify for the tournament. It is widely expected that all five co-hosts will progress through the qualification process as is normal. Even with Turkey in the running, the five-nation bid was the overwhelming favourite to be selected. Euro 2028, UK and Ireland, will be the largest major sporting event the nations have ever jointly staged. A statement on the Scottish FA website reads, the UEFA Euro 2028 bid was successful thanks to its clear and compelling vision to help domestic and European football grow a more diverse and inclusive game, connect with new audiences and inspire the next generation of players, fans and volunteers. The UK and Ireland expressed this vision as football for all, football for good football for the future. The UK and Ireland was also awarded the tournament based on the nation's collective wealth of operational experience and world-class technical facilities, with a long track record of staging successful major sporting events 
including the groundbreaking UEFA Women's Euro 2022. UEFA Euro 2028, UK and Ireland, promises commercial success by delivering record-breaking crowds with high-capacity, world-famous football grounds and state-of-the-art new venues. Approximately 3 million tickets available, more than any previous UEFA Euro. Average stadia capacity of 58,000, so more fans than ever before will attend matches. Matches hosted around our nations and regions to reach as many communities as possible, creating safe, family-friendly and fun experiences we estimate 5 million fans will take part in UEFA festivals across the UK and Ireland. To mark the bid victory at home, the captains of the men's national football teams joined local youth players to celebrate the announcement. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport, October 10 USA International rejoins Glasgow Warriors. Report by Stuart Bathgate. USA International lock Greg Peterson has rejoined Glasgow Warriors on a short-term contract, five years after his first three-season stint at Scotston came to an end. Now 32, Peterson has been brought in primarily as cover for J.P. Dupre's, who will be out of action for the whole season after needing surgery on a knee injury sustained in training. With Scott Cummings and Richie Gray due a break after the Rugby World Cup, once the length of Dupre's absence was confirmed, Warriors coach Franco Smith decided He needed to bring in an experienced lock to supplement the young talent at the club, such as Max Williamson and Alex Samuel. Smith said, With JP starting his rehabilitation and Scott and Rich's return to be managed after a tough training camp and Rugby World Cup for Scotland, we are happy to be able to add someone of Greg's experience and quality to strengthen our squad for the start of the season. We have been really pleased with how Max and Alex and Academy lock Rory Hart have shown up in our pre-season games, as developing our young talent is key not only for us, but for Scottish rugby overall. We want to make sure that they are given their chances when they are ready, as our depth of squad will be important. So adding Greg gives us an additional option in the second row and we're pleased to welcome him into our group at Scotston. Born in Sydney and capped by Australia at under 20 level, Peterson played his early club career in his native country before moving to Leicester Tigers in 2014. He made his test debut for the United States that year, having qualified thanks to a grandfather having been born there. He played for the USA in their pool defeat by Scotland at the 2015 World Cup, a few months after joining the Warriors from Leicester Tigers. 
He was also selected for the US squad that competed at the 2019 World Cup and currently has 39 caps. Peterson spent three seasons at Scotston before moving on, leaving for France for what turned out to be just a single campaign with Bordeaux Bagels. He then joined Newcastle Falcons and went on to spend four seasons there before becoming one of a multitude of players to be released by the Kingston Park Club at the end of last season. Peterson said, The opportunity to come back to Glasgow was an easy one. Tess, my wife, and I made a lot of lifelong friends during our first spell here, and it's a place and a club that hold a lot of fond memories for us, so the decision was pretty straightforward when I got asked to come back for the next couple of months. It all came about pretty quickly, really. I'm thankful that it all got sorted out so quickly. The biggest obstacle was the multiple time zones we were dealing with. I was back in Australia and then over in Salt Lake City with the USA squad, but we got it over the line. Peterson played 32 times for Glasgow during his three earlier seasons at the team and at 6 foot 8 inches was invariably a very reliable source of line-out ball. While knowing he may only have the chance to represent the team for a handful of games this time around, he hopes to be able to show he is a better player now, but is also content to play a supportive role for the squad's less experienced locks. And he added, I definitely feel I've developed as a player and a person since I was last here. I've had two kids since then, so I've learnt a lot of patience for sure. I've learnt a huge amount from both the top 14 in Premiership and matured as a second rower, so hopefully I can come back, help the young boys we've got here and help us start the season strongly. I'm so excited to hear Scotston bouncing again. The place will be packed out for Family Day, which is one I'm already looking forward to. And Leinster is always a massive game. I cannot wait. Report by Stuart Bathgate. Evening Times Sport, October 11. Ajax want Queen's Park Director of Football. Report by Ewan Payton. Ajax are set to make an approach for Queen's Park Director of Football, Marin Bowker, according to a report. The 39-year-old is wanted by the Dutch Giants to take over as their new academy director. The Scottish Sun claims a formal move is imminent, with Bowker keen for the chance to speak with them. Louis van Gaal, who recently answered an SOS call to return to Ajax, knows Bowker well. The former Netherlands and Manchester United boss was a big fan of his work as AZ Alkmaar Director of Development over an eight-year period. It was a shock when Bowker appeared at Queen's Park in 2021. He signed a 10-year contract at the club. This means that the Amsterdam outfit will need to pay the championship side a hefty compensation fee in order to release him from his deal at Lesser Hamden. 
Ajax has suffered a horrific start to the season and currently sits in the Eredivisie relegation zone. Speaking about life at Queen's Park, Bowker said in the summer, This is something for the long term. What is important is that there is continuity in the philosophy. I could die in a couple of months. I hope it doesn't happen, but when it does, there has to be a continuation at the club. We invest a lot of time to influence staff members to the point where they are self-supporting, because there will be a point when Robin is leaving or I'm leaving. When they do, the club must continue with the philosophy. That's the most important thing to invest in. Report by Ewan Payton Evening Times Sport October 11 Angus Gunn insists he is growing in confidence with Scotland. Report by Gavin McCafferty Angus Gunn feels he has been a Scotland player for years, given the way he has fitted into the squad and enjoyed some major memories. Now he believes he and his Scotland teammates can cap off an extraordinary six months by getting a result in Spain and qualifying for Euro 2024. The goalkeeper only made his debut in March, but has experienced victory over Spain on his second appearance and a dramatic comeback win against Norway in Oslo. In five competitive games, the Norwich player has conceded only one goal, an Erling Haaland penalty. The 27-year-old said, It's been seamless, really. The lads have made it so easy for me. The coaching staff as well have been great. It's like I've been here for years. I feel very comfortable and obviously the results help. I am really enjoying it and hopefully it can carry on for years to come. I definitely feel I am getting more comfortable every camp. That's only natural. I have definitely grown in confidence every time. Gunn represented England at youth level up to the under-21s and was also called up to the senior squad in 2017, but eventually opted to follow in his father's footsteps and play for Scotland. The former Southampton and Manchester City keeper said, International football is the pinnacle of any player's career. From my point of view, I wasn't playing regularly at my club to warrant playing international football. When I was, and when I spoke to the manager and decided to come and be involved, things have gone from strength to strength, confidence-wise, and given me the boost I feel I needed in my career. Report by Gavin McCafferty Evening Times Sport, October 11 Hamden tweaks and upgrades for Euro 2028. Report by David Irvin Scottish FA Chief Executive Ian Maxwell has confirmed that tweaks and upgrades will be made to Hamden Park ahead of hosting duties for Euro 2028. Scotland's National Stadium will host matches at the event as part of a five-nation bid for the tournament, 
The UK and Ireland's bid was formally approved by UEFA yesterday. Turkey had withdrawn a rival bid last week, leaving the UK and Ireland application unopposed and subsequently approved by UEFA. Maxwell has now confirmed changes will be made to the national stadium in the lead-up to the tournament. However, he warned plans must be realistic, with no substantial adjustments to be made. Speaking on Sky Sports, he said, There will be changes made to the stadium in terms of preparations for Euro 28, but we need to be realistic about what those are. They will be tweaks and upgrades rather than anything substantial because it is important that we use the income and interest that this will generate to help the game across the country and for future generations. Hamden is a stadium that will host these games and host them really well. But we need to look at the infrastructure across Scottish football and how we can improve that and advance that to make sure that the game can be played by future generations. Hamden Park is a national stadium. It is world famous for hosting matches. We're in UEFA and the video clip in the background here at UEFA's house is showing Zinedine Zidane scoring in the Champions League final which is an iconic moment that everyone remembers and associates with Hamden. As the Scottish Football Association, we want to see games played at the National Stadium. That is the only fitting place to hold such a prestigious event. Hamden Park is one of the ten stadiums and the only Scottish venue included in the submission. Six are in England with Wembley, the Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, the Etihad Stadium, St James's Park, Villa Park and Everton's new home at Bromley Moor Dock. A redeveloped Casement Park in Belfast, the Aviva Stadium in Dublin and the Principality Stadium in Cardiff are the other stadia included in the submission. Despite co-hosting the event, Scotland will likely not automatically qualify for the tournament it is widely expected that all five co-hosts will progress through the qualification process as is normal. Report by David Irvin Evening Times Sport, October 11 Kevin Nisbet withdraws from Scotland squad. Report by Aidan MacDonald Kevin Nisbet has withdrawn from the Scotland squad through injury ahead of the clash against Spain in Seville. It was confirmed the 26-year-old will miss the fixture and that no replacements will be called up. This leaves Steve Clark with just three forwards to choose from, Che Adams, Lyndon Dykes and Jacob Brown. Bournemouth's Ryan Christie is another player who could be an option in the attacking area. Hearts striker Lauren Shankland was left out of the squad for the trip to Spain, but could be an option for the friendly against France next week. If Scotland avoid defeat, they will qualify for next year's tournament in Germany. And even if they do lose, should Norway fail to beat Cyprus, 
that would also be enough to secure a seat on the plane. However, if Norway wins in Larnaca and Spain does the same in Oslo, Scotland could qualify on Sunday despite not playing. Report by Aidan MacDonald Evening Times Sport, October 11 Not true at any level, says Scott's head injury expert. Report by Caroline Wilson One of the world's leading head injury experts has said claims that mouthguards can reduce the risk of concussion by 20% in sport are not true on any level. World Rugby is to introduce smart mouthguard technology that can send pitch-side alerts if a player has experienced a high level of acceleration which could lead to an injury. The new protocol and technology will be debuted in elite women's competition, Women's 15, from October, and will be integrated into the head injury assessment from January 2024. World Rugby's executive board approved a recommendation that players at all levels of the sport wear a mouthguard after research in ice hockey found that as well as protecting against dental injuries, mouthguards can reduce the risk of a concussion by 20%. A spokesman for World Rugby said the peer-reviewed study in ice hockey was published by the British Journal of Sports Medicine and was also cited in the Concussion in Sport Amsterdam Consensus Statement, which was also published in the journal. He said that the measure had the potential to improve the well-being of thousands of Scottish rugby players. However, Scottish neuropathologist Professor Willie Stewart, whose groundbreaking research identified a link between dementia and football, said that very limited data had showed the claim was not true on any level, and specifically not true in the case of rugby. He advised World Rugby to look more closely at the evidence. World Rugby is investing an initial €2 million to support unions, competitions and clubs to adopt the new smart mouthguard technology by Prevent Biometrics. The smart mouthguards work in real time to send alerts of high forces to the independent matchday doctor. It says that this will, for the first time, enable players who have experienced a high acceleration event but not shown symptoms or been seen by broadcast cameras to be taken off and assessed. The mouthguards will be required in training as well as matches, which World Rugby say will enable coaches to better tailor drills tackle skills and training load for each individual player and best support their performance and welfare. New guidelines will also be extending the time players will sit out after concussions to 21 days. The measures follow a meeting of World Rugby's independent concussion working group this summer in Boston, USA 
which heard presentations from world-leading experts, including Boston University's Professor Anne McKee and Dr. Chris Nowinski, as well as Professor Grant Iverson of Harvard Medical School. Professor Stewart's research found that former players were five times more likely to develop Alzheimer's disease and had a threefold risk of dying from neurodegenerative diseases. Further studies by his University of Glasgow team showed that risk varied by player position and career length, but not by playing era with defenders most at risk. The research examined data up until the 1990s, when lighter footballs were in use. Professor Stewart said the evidence was clear that the standout risk factor for neurodegenerative disease in football is exposure to head injury and head impacts. His study prompted the SFA to ban children under 12 from heading footballs, but he suggested it should be removed from the game altogether. Other research, led by the neuropathologist, found that former international rugby players were 15 times more likely to develop motor neuron disease, MND. He said the findings suggested there could be grounds for a review of match frequency to limit head impact. Scottish former rugby union player Doddy Weir, who died last year, and England's Rob Burrow, are among the high-profile rugby players to have contracted MND, which affects nerves in the brain and spinal cord, and is a severely life-shortening condition. Report by Caroline Wilson Evening Times Sport, October 12 Celtic considering further tapping into Korean market in January. Report by Ewan Payton Celtic are interested in a move for South Korean midfielder Jong Ho Yeon, according to a report. The 23-year-old is a player that the Scottish champions are said to be keeping tabs on ahead of the January transfer window. In recent years, the hoops have become renowned for tapping into the Asian market, with several players arriving from the J-League and the K-League. In terms of Korea, Oh, Yang and Kwon have all arrived within the last year. Oh arrived from Suwon Blue Wings in a January deal worth £2.5 million under the watch of Ange Postecoglou, who really started the idea of looking at those markets, while the hoops shelled out a combined £3 million for Yang and Kwon in the summer. And despite the varied success of them, according to Football List, Yong is next on the club's list. He is a defensive midfielder and currently plays for Guangzhou FC. The player was recently granted military exemption after participating at the Asian Games, helping South Korea win gold. Jong has played 18 times in the K-League this term. He played a major role in helping them to promotion from the K-League 2 last season, as the newly promoted team 
they're going great guns in the top flight as they currently sit third. Evening Times Sport, October 12. Clark confident Scotland can match Spain. Report by Ronnie Esplin. Steve Clark believes Scotland's maximum performance against Spain will be good enough to get them at least the point they need to qualify for Euro 2024. The Scots have won their first five qualifiers, including a morale-boosting 2-0 victory over Spain at Hampden Park in match. Scotland are six points clear of Louis de la Fuente's side at the top of the table and will qualify for next summer's finals in Germany if they avoid defeat in Seville or if Norway fail to beat Cyprus. Scotland have Georgia away and Norway at home in November to complete their campaign. Clark said, Belief will be part of it. Obviously, we have to get the tactics right. The players have to put into practice on the pitch what we have spoken about on the training ground. They have to play to our maximum and belief is a part of that as well. We have to play our game as well as we can and I believe that will be good enough to get something from the game. They are a very good team. Obviously they won the Nations League in the summer. I think when we played them in March they were probably a little bit in transition between the previous coach and the new coach. They had a disappointing World Cup campaign, so we maybe got them at a good time in March. We know we have to be very good to get a positive result tonight. I think we have been constantly improving over my tenure as head coach. We are improving all the time. We are striving to improve, trying to add little bits to our game that would make us more competitive against the top teams but we understand we still have a bit to go. But we don't come here thinking that we have to sit in and defend all night. We have to be as effective with the ball as we were at Hamden. We want to get the job done as quickly as possible. If we are good enough to do it tonight, that would be great. If not, we have two more chances in November, and we have those chances because we started the group so well. Evening Times Sport, October 12. McGinn on his debt to Spanish coach Emery. Report by Matthew Lindsay. Scottish talisman John McGinn believes he is going into the vital Euro 2024 qualifier here in Seville tonight in the best form of his entire career, thanks to the influence of Spanish coach Une Emery. Aston Villa midfielder McGinn has become a hero of the Tartan army in the past four years, thanks to his heroics up front for his country. He is now the national team's seventh top scorer of all time, with 17 goals and 58 appearances. However, the former St Mirren and Hibbs midfielder feels that he is a far more complete footballer now, thanks to working with Europa League specialist Emery during the past 11 months. It will be ironic if the Villa captain, who is convinced he has improved every department of his game 
under the former Valencia and Seville manager, is the man who secures the result against Spain this evening, which books his country's place in Germany next summer. Said McGinn, I feel I'm in good form, probably the best of my career. I'm enjoying it. I'm close to 29, and I'm absolutely devastated by that. When the number three gets associated with you in football, you are one year away from being finished. Next week, I'm 29, but I'm learning all the time. I am very fortunate to not only learn of brilliant staff, but teammates as well. Looking at how the French and Spanish boys operate, I am learning off them all the time. It's bringing me on, and I still think I have more to offer. And if I can bring that to Scotland, then it will be beneficial to both myself and the team. The manager has taken my game to another level. I can't thank him enough for what he's given me. I can't thank him enough for the help he's given me on a daily basis. It's a different style of play, taking more touches on the ball, seeing the game differently. It's a lot of hard work, it's intense, but I'm so, so fortunate to come into his path. He's teaching me things I didn't think I was capable of. Meanwhile, McGinn has attributed Scott McTominay's incredible run of goal-scoring form during the Euro 2024 qualifying campaign to Steve Clark, and joked that Manchester United manager Eric Ten Hag has got the best out of the midfielder by copying his Scotland counterpart. McTominay, who netted a double in the 2-0 triumph over Spain at Hamden in March, has been on target on no fewer than six occasions in Group A and is currently ahead of the likes of Erling Haaland, Harry Kane, Kylian Mbappe and Cristiano Ronaldo in the scoring charts. The 26-year-old has hardly featured at United during the 23-24 campaign, but he came off the bench in a Premier League match at Old Trafford on Saturday and netted an injury-time double to clinch a dramatic 2-1 triumph over Brentford. McGinn said, We have to give the gaffer credit for that. A few years ago, I was only really a deep-lying midfielder, sometimes playing higher up. Steve Clark came in here and pushed me higher up. He obviously noticed something in my game that he felt could help the team. And he has echoed that with Scotty. He has pushed him higher up. The credit I will give the gaffer. Villa have copied that with me. Ten Hag has copied him as well. He has been brilliant for us, big Scotty. He is so athletic and he gets in the box and hits the ball harder than anyone I have ever played with. So it's no surprise he is getting goals. As long as he slows down just a wee bit, no, he's doing brilliant. I am delighted for him. Despite his concern about reaching 29, McGinn is confident he can play on at the highest level for club and country for many years to come and confessed that he would like to be involved in the Euro 2028 finals in Scotland. He said, 
I have got one eye on us hosting the Euros, though the focus right now is qualifying for two in a row. I know we had the taste for it last time, but I'm sure everyone will agree it wasn't the same. That's not an excuse for us being rubbish, but a full Hamden next time would make a huge difference. If my body allows it, I'd love to be there, and it would be great to make the next World Cup as well. I think we're capable. When we qualified for the last Euros, our goal was to make it easier to qualify in the future, even after this squad has evolved and moved on. My aim is to be playing it in my old age, the same as big Christian Daly was. I remember watching big Davy Weir. He seemed like the kind of guy who was learning about the game as he was playing and when he got to the latter stages of his career, he wasn't the quickest or the sharpest, but he still had it upstairs, and he was a step in front of everyone he played against. People like that are inspirational, and hopefully I can be the same. Report by Matthew Lindsay Evening Times Sport, October 12 Stewart lifts lid on discreetly signing Rangers pre-contract. Report by Ewan Payton. Greg Stewart has opened up on discreetly joining Rangers while still turning out for rivals Aberdeen. The attacking midfielder was on loan at the Dons from Birmingham City during the second half of the 2018-19 season for his second spell at the club. The former Dundee man was at Kilmarnock for the first section of that campaign and was nothing short of sensational under Steve Clark. But Derek McInnes managed to swoop in January to take the forward back to Pataudry after the Blues recalled him from Killy. Stewart had only been back at Aberdeen for a matter of months before it became apparent that his boyhood club wanted to sign him. A pre-contract was put on the table by Stephen Gerrard in March, and Stewart gladly signed. He would go on to spend two seasons at the club, winning the title in his last. However, in a candid interview with the Scots Abroad pod, the Mumbai City star claimed how he, McInnes and Rangers, had to keep the deal under wraps due to the intense nature of the rivalry. Stuart could not even tell his own mum as he spoke of how he broke down in tears informing his dad. The 33-year-old recalled, I was in the last six months of my deal at Birmingham, so I played in January, February, and I think at the start of March we played Rangers at Pataudry. I ran riot that game. I was playing against Borna Barisic. Basically, Borna got me a move to Rangers. I said that to him when I signed. Cheers, mate. You got me a move here. It was just a bit of banter. I'll always remember it. At Aberdeen, you had to go to the stadium to get changed before you travel to the training ground. I went to the stadium one day and Derek pulled me into his office. I thought I'd done something wrong. He said, 
Do you know something that I don't know? I was oblivious. I didn't have a clue what he was talking about. Derek and I have got the same agent. I genuinely didn't know anything about it. We played Rangers, and I did really well. It was a couple of days later. He thought I knew before somebody told him that Rangers had been in contact, but I actually knew nothing. I didn't have a clue. Obviously, the rivalry between Aberdeen and Rangers. Derek had said we need to keep this quiet. He told me he needed to be honest with me because of how big a Rangers fan I am. He said, Rangers have been on the phone. They want to sign you on a pre-contract. He told me he'd love to keep me at Aberdeen, but that it wasn't even a discussion anymore. He then said that he wasn't sure how we're going to go about it though, because if the news came out, then the Aberdeen fans would hate me. I was in total shock. I didn't know what to say. The meeting finished and I was still in shock. Rangers want to sign me, Stephen Gerrard, the team that I love. Is this happening? I phoned my agent and he said the ball was rolling and that he didn't want to tell me because he wanted Derek to speak to me first because that's how it should work out of respect. I think Rangers went about it in the right way. Then I remember phoning my dad. I was trying to tell him, but I just burst out crying. Is this real? I was in shock. I couldn't tell anyone because of Aberdeen versus Rangers. We had to keep it quiet. I remember I went to meet Stephen Gerrard and Mark Allen at the time. We got the deal done, and I had signed the paperwork off, but obviously we were going to keep it until the summer. I signed it and they put it in a drawer. The deal was done in early March. I couldn't tell anybody. Imagine me, I'm Rangers daft. From March and the season doesn't finish until the end of May. The only people who knew were my dad, my wife and my uncle. We were really close. I couldn't even tell my mum. Because I knew if I told mum, then everybody is going to know. Report by Ewan Payton. Evening Times Sport, October 13. Clark insists Scotland did not deserve to lose. Report by Aidan MacDonald. Scotland boss Steve Clark insists his side did not deserve to lose to Spain in the Euro 2024 qualifier. Goals from Alvara Moreta and Ohan Sanset saw the hosts run out 2 nothing winners in Seville, which means the 60-year-old's team will have to wait until at least Sunday to find out if they have reached next summer's tournament in Germany. However, there was VAR controversy after Scott McTominay thought he had put the visitors in front from a free kick. The referee was asked to review Jack Henry's interaction with Spain goalkeeper Une Simon and appeared to rule the goal out originally for a foul before UEFA then confirmed the decision was that the defender had interfered with play from an offside position. Speaking to Viaplay Sports, Clark said, I am disappointed for the players. 
They put in a really good performance and Spain knew they were in a game. We came here to show that, and obviously the game turned on a small margin. If it is offside or a foul, I do not know what he gave it for, to be honest. I think because Henry is offside and steps towards the goalkeeper, maybe because he makes contact with the goalkeeper, they have given the offside, but it is small margins. Instead of being one nothing up, we are one nothing down 15 minutes later, and then it is a tough night. It is disappointing, but we're still in a good position. Despite the defeat, the Scotland manager made it clear that he was proud of how his team handled the goal being disallowed and praised them for their professionalism and continued. It is always difficult when you think you have scored a goal and someone takes it off you. It is disappointing to lose that Spain opener, but we coped reasonably well with the pressure. And you can watch the McTominay goal as much as you like. We're not getting it. It is gone and you have to try and move on. I think we did that. And the second goal was really unfortunate, as it puts an unfair light on the game, as I do not think we deserve to lose 2 nothing. I do not think we deserve to lose, to be fair. Report by Aidan MacDonald Evening Times Sport, October 13 Andy Robertson Injury Update Report by Aidan MacDonald Scotland boss Steve Clark has provided an update on Andy Robertson after he sustained a shoulder injury against Spain. Goals from Alvaro Morata and Ohan Sanset saw the hosts run out 2 nothing winners in Seville, which means uh, the 60-year-old's team will have to wait until at least Sunday to find out if they have reached Euro 2024. And one of the real negatives from the evening was the knock picked up by the Liverpool fullback. Robertson was forced off late in the first half, following a challenge from the Spain goalkeeper Une Simon, as he appeared to suffer a dislocation as he left the pitch with his arm wrapped in his shirt as a makeshift sling. Clark said, it was an immediate decision to take him off. He'll go back to his club. He'll be assessed. Obviously, he's hurt his shoulder. We'll have a look. Obviously, go back to his club. Always seems to happen when you lose one player in a position. We lose Kieran Tierney on the left side, and then Andy's picked up a shoulder injury. We'll see how it is, see how it settles down, and hopefully he's good for his club as quickly as possible and he's ready to help us in November. Report by Aidan MacDonald Evening Times Sport October 13 McTominay disallowed goal explained by UEFA Insider Report by Aidan MacDonald Scott McTominay's goal for Scotland against Spain was disallowed for an offside but the referee made an error by signalling for a foul. This is according to a UEFA insider who has confirmed that the whistler made a mistake when dealing with the decision. McTominay thought he had given Scotland the lead in Seville before celebrations were cut short 
after the Dutch referee was asked to go and look at the monitor to make a decision. UEFA initially filtered through that the goal was disallowed for a foul by Jack Hendry on the Spanish goalkeeper before the reasoning was changed to an offside. Speaking to the Scottish Sun, the insider said, The referee's decision that the free kick was for offside. After the on-field review, the decision was offside as the attacking player Jack Henry was touching and standing in front of the goalkeeper. Therefore, according to Law 11 for offside, the attacker impacted on his opponent, the goalkeeper, playing or attempting to play the ball. Spain went on to win the fixture 2-0. Evening Times Sport October 13 Key St Mirren transfer model making crucial international impact Report by David Irvin Take a look at the latest Scotland squad and regular faces Kenny McLean and John McGinn feature once more. It brings immense pride to see two St Mirren youth graduates make it big for Scotland on countless occasions. The only slight gripe being a call-up was not forthcoming while they were in Paisley. Both midfielders received call-ups to Scotland's top team within a year of moving on to Aberdeen and Hibs respectively. McGinn and McLean are just two of a host of St Mirren youth products to help build the well-respected name of the youth academy. There is no question over the tremendous work going on within the building in producing the next batch of talented youngsters with Lewis Jameson, Kieran Offord, Ethan Sutherland, Fraser Taylor and Luke Kenny all pushing for the first team either at Ralston or out in Lowen. However, less has been made over previous years of St Mirren first team players being called to play for their country, perhaps unfairly at times. Thankfully, that is something that is changing, with no less than five St Mirren players headed out on international duty this week. Alex Gojic will continue to play an instrumental role for Cyprus. Keanu Bacchus and Ryan Strain again link up with the Australian squad. Alex Grave could add to his New Zealand caps and Conor McMenamin heads off for Northern Ireland duty. Undoubtedly the first reaction is that pride for serving St Mun players to be recognised for their country. But just as important is the unseen but crucially important impact it makes off the field. With each buddies player that heads out on international duty, the reputation of the club as a solid foundation or even proverbial launch pad for the players' careers grows. It's well documented that players want to see a track record for development, success and international recognition when considering a new club. For prospective players, there is a wealth of evidence of player development under Stephen Robertson and Dermot O'Carroll. Impressive recent league outings suggest another successful season and international recognition is blossoming with every call-up. 
Bacchus previously described himself as a bit of a gamble for St Mirren when he was jetted into the Paisley first team from Western Sydney Wanderers. To an extent, he was right. It is, at least in part, a risk to put resources into signing players largely on footage, but it has paid off majorly with Bacchus and Strain in particular. The pair have been top performers for St Mirren throughout their time at the club, and even if they both decide to move on to new pastures in the summer, contract talks have been ongoing with Buddy's chiefs, then they will have proven their worth. Sure, it might not tell in the bank balance if free transfers are agreed, but it would still be reference signings for the future. Not only will they have contributed to at least one major success in breaking the top six last season, but they will also represent the immense opportunity presented when you join St Mirren. That's why St Mirren must continue to explore international markets. It won't only serve to bolster the first team playing squad, but will also progress the reputation of the club and pay dividends in future player negotiations. In Scotland, the transfer window is fiercely competitive, but the advantage of having a reputation of a club held in high regard in all aspects can make that crucial difference for a player with offers on the table. The suggestion is not that Robinson and company rip up the working formula of players the manager has worked with previously or totally ignore the vast market in Scotland and England. Rather, when the opportunity arises in reasonable measure to bring in players from elsewhere with a view to putting them in the limelight and short window to perform at club level with the ambition of an international call-up, then that should be seriously considered, says David Irvin. Evening Times Sport October 13 McGinn insists Scotland win near enough impossible as referee blasted. Report by David Irvin John McGinn insists it was near enough impossible for Scotland to beat Spain with the big decisions going in the opposite direction in Seville. The midfielder was left furious over referee Serda Gozubuyuk decision to rule out Scott McTominay's strike and then wave away appeals for a penalty for a foul on Che Adams. McGinn even stated that the referee changed his mind over the reason for McTominay's strike being ruled out after a VAR check for a foul to offside. The big moments went against us, he said. It is very difficult to win here, but under the circumstances, it was near enough impossible. You need to be very careful what you say. I think everyone watching that from a Scotland point of view, it just felt like we were not getting a decision. It made it extremely difficult against a world-class opposition. You need a perfect performance here to win and everything to align, and tonight it was just never going to be happening. On BBC he continued, It's tough to take. What a shift we had to put in. It was not nice to defend like that and graft like that. 
They are a world-class team, and you need a perfect performance to win here. It just felt like no matter what we tried, we competed, but those 50-50 decisions just were not going for us. I think every Scottish person, whether they were back home or here, would be frustrated watching that. Then the goal. You think you've got a goal to qualify. An absolutely unbelievable strike. No keeper in the world is saving that. The referee decides that it is a foul, and then he changes it in play to decide that it is offside. So I'm not sure how clear that is. That's the thing that stings, really. You can take a team like Spain picking you apart. We get the free kick. We get the big moment. We score. I've watched it back. Jack's right leg is offside, but it's very, very harsh. And McGinn was in no doubt that Scotland should have had a route back into the match from the spot for a foul from Laporte on Adams. But play was waved on. He's added... I can't remember when the penalty shout was, but that was an absolute stonewaller every day of the week. I cannot believe that was not given. We are angry and disappointed. Our game plan was working to a T, and those big decisions went against us. Report by David Irvin Evening Times Sport October 13 Rangers get special honour at Ibrooks for charity work. Report by Rebecca Newlands. Rangers have been presented with a special honour to mark their work with an armed forces charity ahead of Remembrance Day. The club and the Rangers Charity Foundation have helped to raise over £118,000 for Poppy Scotland in just three years. Can collections, auctioning shirts worn during marches and selling their dual-branded Poppy Scotland Rangers badges have all contributed to the fund. As a thank you to the club for their efforts, Poppy Scotland has gifted them with a framed poppy and certificate which is to be displayed at Ibrooks. The Rangers Charity Foundation has worked with Armed Forces Charities for many years, donating over £241,000 in cash to date, and was a joint signatory, along with Rangers, to the Armed Forces Covenant in 2016. It became the first club and club charity in the UK to receive the Armed Forces Covenant Employer Recognition Schemes Gold Award from the Ministry of Defence in 2019. The poppy and certificate were given to the charity's chief executive, Conal Cochran, by Gordon Meathy, Poppy Scotland's head of fundraising, and their corporate fundraiser, Damien Doran Timpson. Gordon said, It was brilliant to meet with Conal and everyone who is connected with the Rangers Charity Foundation. As a charity, they are so supportive of all that we do for our armed forces community in Scotland. Their generosity and fundraising initiatives allow us to maintain our first in-class welfare services 365 days of the year. I want to thank them once more for their vital support 
and I look forward to continuing our collaborative efforts going into this year's Scottish Poppy Appeal and beyond. Connell added, We were delighted to receive this recognition from Poppy Scotland for our support over the last few years. Alongside the club, we are proud to observe remembrance at Ibrox each year, commemorating those who made the ultimate sacrifice for their country, and to continue to support Poppy Scotland in its vital work with serving personnel and veterans. Report by Rebecca Newlands Evening Times Sport, October 13, Rugby Thompson details importance of Scotland developing a winning habit. Report by Stuart Bathgate Scotland go into today's women's 15-2 match against South Africa in a good place both psychologically and physically. They have won their last three matches, narrowly against Italy and then by an average of four full scores against Ireland and Spain, thanks to their superior game management and fitness. However, all three of those games were at home, and the Scots began the last two slowly, and as they made final preparations yesterday for this afternoon's pool game in Stellenbosch, Centre Lisa Thompson warned they will need to be on their mettle right from kick-off against the tournament hosts. She said, We are looking for an 80-minute performance. South Africa are a hugely physical team and they're going to come out of the blocks hard, so we're going to have to weather that storm. The Ireland and Spain games did not start too well, so we're looking to start well. For example, against Spain, they scored first, and it was a hard first half. So it's about being in those situations more often, getting used to them, and getting 80-minute performances. It's about getting used to winning and making winning a bit of a habit, whether that's staying ahead and closing games out, or coming back from behind. It's about being in those situations more often, and getting comfortable with dealing with different scenarios. The squad have benefited from significantly improved fitness levels since the vast majority of them signed professional contracts last year, and the enhanced competition for places has enabled head coach Brian Eason to have a proper full-game strategy for using his bench. Thompson, who starts in the number 12 jersey this afternoon, was a substitute in the 36-5 win over the Spanish. Today, back row forward Jade Conquel is a key member of a bench that could have a decisive impact on the match, above all if it is close going into the closing quarter. Report by Stuart Bathgate Evening Times Sport, October 13 Ryan Christie calls on UEFA to provide VAR clarity. Report by Matthew Lindsay. Ryan Christie has called for UEFA to clear up the confusion over VAR decisions in the wake of the Scott McTominay goal that was controversially disallowed in Scotland's defeat to Spain in Seville. National team playmaker Christie was stunned 
when Dutch referee Serbert Goziu Bulak chose to chalk off a sensational McTominay free kick in the second half of the Euro 2024 qualifier. He revealed the match official had claimed that centre-half Jack Henry had fouled goalkeeper Une Simon and then changed his mind and stated that the defender had been offside. The Bournemouth midfielder would like European football's governing body to provide clarity on how the new technology is used amid growing unhappiness throughout the game. He said, It is so frustrating. We come what we came here to do. We were at our best as we got into the second half. I felt they were running out of ideas. Then we got the Scott McTominay's goal that turns out not to be a goal. It was tough to take. I didn't even know there was the possibility of a VAR check. I'm off celebrating. Scott's off celebrating. Everybody's off celebrating. Then the ref's telling everyone on the pitch that it's for a push. Then when we go to see him afterwards, he's saying it's offside. But if it's offside, then he doesn't have to go to the monitor, does he? So that's the main problem here. There's no clarity. If no one in the stadium knows what the decision's been given for, then it can't be clear and obvious. We keep hearing from everyone that these things have to be clear and obvious. I've seen it back from a few angles. From the match angle, which I'm guessing they have on VAR, it looks like Jack pushes him a little bit. Then you see an angle from behind the goal, and he hardly touches him. In any case, the goalkeeper's already moving to cover his front post. I'm not sure if VAR had that angle. This is what really gets to us players. It just leads to more questions and doubt when what we need is certainty and clarity. I think we should have VAR for decisions that are yes or no. If you can draw a line, I can accept that. But when it all hangs on someone else's opinion, we're never going to get to the end of it. All we know is that at one nothing, we would have been in a great position to go on and get the result. Christie felt that Scotland, who are still in top spot in Group A with two games remaining against Georgia away and Norway at home, deserved to take at least a point from the match. And he said, We knew it was going to be tough, especially the position they are in. They had won off the post and a few chances and it felt like a long night. But in the second half, I personally felt that we had them. They were running out of ideas a little bit, and that's the incredibly frustrating thing. It's an incredible cross by Jesus Navas, and a great header by Alvara Morata. It is so frustrating, but we move on, and have the game on Tuesday, which will be good. And then we have two massive games, Euro 2024 qualifiers against Georgia and Norway next month. Steve Clark's side will qualify for the Euro 2024 finals in Germany without kicking a ball if Spain draw or beat Norway away on Sunday, and Christie admitted that he will be cheering on Louis de la Fuente's men. Absolutely, I will, he said. Listen, we wanted to come here and do it ourselves. 
Everyone was desperate because we are so close and we wanted to get over the finishing line. We wanted to do it ourselves and what a place it would have been to do it. But it wasn't to be and it's out of our hands for Sunday. More importantly, we have two massive chances to do it in November and we're looking forward to that. Christie has already turned his attentions to the friendly international against France in Lille on Tuesday night, and he feels that run-out will be hugely beneficial for Scotland. He continued, Listen, it's frustrating. In the next couple of days we will be very frustrated. It's a bit of a what-if. But we need to put it behind us, and we will be ready Tuesday, and more importantly next month for a massive camp. Everybody is going to talk about this game on Sunday, but everyone in our camp wants to finish this group as strong as we possibly can. France is another tough game, but it's an exciting one. We want to challenge ourselves against the best and take positive results from these games. The more we do that, the more we keep improving and going into the higher pots. We want to be a team in and about these massive teams. Report by Matthew Lindsay Evening Times Sport October 13 Celtic winger Yang explains Champions League nerves. Report by Aidan MacDonald Celtic winger Yang has opened up on his Champions League nerves after playing in the competition for the first time. The forward came off the bench for 30 minutes against Feyenoord in the Parkhead side's group stage opener before starting in the recent 2-1 defeat to Lazio. And the South Korea international has outlined his aims for this season's competition. Speaking to Celtic TV, he said, I do not think there is any difficulty getting used to live in Scotland, but if I had to pick one, it would be the language. Since I'm not good at speaking English, there is a language barrier when I'm trying to communicate with other players on the team. Other than that, I have no problems. The speed of Scottish teams' transitions from attack to defence, or vice versa, is way quicker than Korean teams. Also, defenders here are a lot more physical. It was such an honour to play in the Champions League. It's a shame that I couldn't show all of my ability, as I was feeling a bit nervous since it was such a big game. The main team objective is to win the Premiership. My personal objective is to score my first goal and be of help to the team. Report by Aidan MacDonald Evening Times Sport, October 16 Selt Matt O'Reilly explains his strange Denmark call-up. Report by Aidan MacDonald Celtic midfielder Matt O'Reilly has opened up on the strange nature of his international call-up for Denmark. The 22-year-old joined the senior squad for the first time ahead of their clash against San Marino after Kasper Dahlberg pulled out. And O'Reilly revealed he was in Spain at the time when the call came. He said, It happened very quickly. 
I just got a call from Morton Weekhorst and Casper Hulmund. I was just sitting in Mallorca and eight hours later I was in Denmark, so it all happened very quickly. Weekhorst said that there was a really good chance that I would go and then I had to pack my things and be ready. I also had to talk to the hotel reception and say that I had to check out, but the feeling you get with that is really good. It was a bit strange. After all, I wasn't sure if I should hide my face or not. I didn't want anyone to talk about it, so I chose to wear a hat and hood. Meanwhile, Brendan Rogers will be rubbing his hands at the prospect of defeating another Rangers manager, according to Chris Sutton. During his two spells at Parkhead, the Irishman has seen off Mark Warburton, Pedro Caxina and Michael Beale, and Sutton reckons the former Leicester City boss will be excited to fend off the next person in the hot seat at Ibrooks. Report by Aidan MacDonald Evening Times Sport, October 16 Clement delivers Rangers address as he details playing style. Report by Stuart Wilson New Rangers boss Philippe Clement insists he is a football animal in his first interview since becoming manager. The Belgian has signed a three-and-a-half-year deal with the Ibrox club and is looking forward to fighting on both the domestic and European fronts. He also detailed the importance of implementing his style of play. Speaking to Rangers TV, he said, Of course, I'm a football animal, so I've watched all the games from this season in the last couple of days. It's been busy. I start to get to know the staff, and then it's about aligning everyone in one story to be one strong family who want to work hard to get results. We have four chances to win things, but it is really important that everyone is focused on the next game and not looking too far ahead. It is about building this story day by day, week by week, to make the team stronger and to win trophies at the end of the season as much as possible. It is a marathon, not a sprint, so we need to, of course, implement day by day the way we want to play football, the way we want to work. We want to make players more fit and get injured players back because there have to be some injuries this season also. There are some things to do, but I am looking forward to it. Clement went on to lay out his playing style, stating there would be an emphasis on attacking, but also remaining solid defensively. The 49-year-old also explained that he would not have taken the job if he did not think the current squad to play the way he wants. A playing style that is creative about scoring goals, he said. It is about being dominant and winning, also not scoring goals and then giving away easy goals. We have the idea to go forward and attack, but we also have a changing of positions with the players, but for that we need time in the beginning. 
at all my clubs in the beginning. We need time, because it is not natural to do this automatically. But in the moment, it starts to work, and you get more fluid football, and you will get a lot of goals wherever you go. The quality is here to do that with these players. Otherwise, I would not have taken the job. It's a competitive sport, one where you need a lot of discipline, hard work daily. It's a short period in your life to be a professional football player, so you need to make the best of it. Report by Stuart Wilson Evening Times Sport October 16 New sports given go-ahead for Olympic Games in 2028. Report by Martin McMillan Cricket, squash, baseball, softball, lacrosse and flag football will all be included in the Olympic programme at the Los Angeles Games in 2028. The proposal was approved at the International Olympic Committee session in Mumbai today, with only two delegates voting against the new events. Cricket returns to the Games for the first time in 128 years in the form of six-team men's and women's T20 tournaments. Lacrosse for the first time as a medal sport since 1908, while baseball has featured at the Olympics several times. Flag football, a non-contact format of American football, and squash are included for the first time. IOC President Thomas Bach had described cricket's inclusion in the LA 2028 programme as a win-win situation when he spoke about it on Friday. And he said, The Olympic Games will give cricket a global stage and the opportunity to grow beyond the traditional cricket countries and regions. And for the Olympic movement, it is the opportunity to engage with fan and athlete communities to which so far we have very little or even no access. Bach insisted he did not have to twist the LA organisers' arms to include cricket on its list of prospective new sports, in spite of it being very much an emerging sport still in the United States. The German said it did not take anything to convince them. The idea first came up at a dinner I shared with Casey Wasserman the chairman of LA 2028, at the Athletics World Championships in Eugene last year. Casey saw already the great potential of cricket and was highlighting it himself, so there was not much work to do, if any. Report by Martin McMillan Evening Times Sport, October 16 Cantwell provides Rangers injury update. Report by Stuart Wilson. Rangers midfielder Todd Cantwell has provided an injury update, stating he hopes to be back in action now that the international break is coming to an end. The Englishman has not featured for the Ibrox side since picking up a knee injury against Celtic last month and he admitted the rehab process 
has not been as smooth as he would have liked. Speaking to the Beautiful Game podcast, he said, The plan is definitely to be back after the international break. It's not been as smooth as I would have liked and I cannot make any promises, but the plan is to be back and fit for the Hibs game. That concludes this week's edition of the Glasgow Times Sports Podcast. Please remember to subscribe to our channels at Q&Review and to tell your friends about our service.